Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Hey, this is an incredible day for me. It's a real honor uh, to get to have my father, who is truly not just my father, but he actually serves in the role as my pastor as well. Uh, he's my spiritual counsel. Uh, he's pastored in the inner city of Miami, Florida for over 20 years now. He, Before that, he was on the road as a Christian evangelist, traveled uh, all over the world preaching the gospel for 18 years. Uh, this is my hero today. And he's going to be teaching on a very specific topic. He's written a book. Uh, he's wrapping up his doctorate right now. And his dissertation is on this subject of honor. How many of you know that honor is a lost art in our culture nowadays? And so he, he truly is, um, uh, he, he, he knows this subject so well. So today I'm excited to have my dad in the house today. Come on, Stephen, would you stand on your feet and honor the man, the bishop, Pastor Rich Wilkerson, as he comes to give the word. Love you, dad. Love you, son. Wow, wow, wow. Whew. Just stay standing. We're going to ask God to help us today. Uh, I'm so honored to be with you, Adam. Oh. Haven't I known you since you were just a little person? Yeah, okay. That means I'm old, but uh, wow, what a, what a gift in this worship, this church. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you for receiving uh, my family in as your leaders. I want to thank the a board of elders for their kindnesses. Um, wow, this is a historic moment for me. And uh, I love you all so much. And by the way, a patriarch of uh, the gospel and of this city, some days ago went home to be with the Lord, Pastor Brayton. And his uh, services will be this Thursday. And um, a number of the members of his family are here, and they are all very, very good friends of mine, and I honor them today, and I'm uh, so grateful for this opportunity. Love John Fulton and Ashley so much. I'm so thankful uh, that they have landed uh, in this place um, known as CFAN. Wow, what a great place. Church for all nations. Today, Jesus, we need you again and again and again. And I ask in these few moments that I have that your Holy Spirit would do what I cannot do in the lives of people. Lord, I pray that you would heal. I pray that you would restore. I pray that you would mend. Most of all, I pray that you would save people who need you today. I ask this in your precious name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. What a great crowd for this first nine o'clock service. It, to me, it just feels like everything went together. The Seahawks aren't playing till tomorrow. And it's raining outside. You know, if it was raining in Miami, you could shoot a cannon through the place and not hit a soul. When it's sunshiny in Miami, you're going to have a massive crowd. Here in the Northwest, when, when it's raining, it's going to be a good day in church. Oh, man, so good to see all of you today. Today, I want you to look with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 9 through 16. 
As Pastor J.F. said, for the past 21 years, our family has ministered in the uh, urban center of Miami, Florida, and God has blessed in a great way. And uh, I, I never dreamed that we would ever leave the Northwest. And then I never dreamed that we would get as far away from the Northwest as you possibly can by going to Miami. But that's where the Lord led us. And he has given us a very wonderful time ministering to people's needs. And it's in that context today that I want to talk to you about this subject of honor, but it has a Bible basis. Look with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. The scripture says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another with love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Today, I want to talk to you on this thought. Honor is our calling. In our church in Miami, we have seven core values, and this one is one of them. I don't know if I'll write a book on all seven values, but I wrote a book on this one. Honor is our calling. Do you mind if for a few moments today, um, if I just told stories? I, I'm just, because uh, we could go to the book of, you know, Nehemiah, I, whatever you want to do, but I'd like to just tell some stories, if that would be okay. Would that be okay? I'm a story guy. I love stories. Um, and I've, as, as John Fulton said, I've been on this doctoral search, and I'm just so thick. I'm just, my brain is just layered. We need stories. Can I get an amen out there? Okay, just a few stories, and then we'll wrap it, and I'll head to the book table. I just want you to know what's coming up. Okay. But I have three, uh, what I think are very important um, qualities about this topic that I want to reference today, and I want to tell a story about each one of them. And the first thing I want to say is honor others above yourselves. Honor others above yourselves. As we read, Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I'm telling you, if you do this, victory is going to come your way. I got a text from one of my dearest friends early this morning, Keith Kraft, and just out of the clear blue, he said, Rich, 
I want to say that I honor you this morning. Now, he didn't even know that, that I was going to be talking about this. He didn't even know I was with John Fulton, I don't think. But he says, I honor you today. And Rich, I want you to know that the, the thing that makes honor happen is humility. That right behind the word honor is the word humility. If you're willing to humble yourselves, then and only then can you honor those around you. I thank God for the couple I want to talk about. Her name is Ireda. Ireda. And Ireda happened to be uh, my wife, Pastor Robin, and I's uh, personal assistant for five years. Uh, she and her husband, Phil, great people in the church. She uh, has a I don't know how to do this, but she's been through clown school, okay? Now, people that are grumpy don't ever go to clown school. So I just, I just want you to know what kind of woman she is, okay? She's a happy, the life of the party, irata. And her husband was an usher in our church, and she was our personal assistant, and just a happy person. And one day, probably... Uh, the fourth year, fifth year, into her five years with us as PA. She came into Robin's office sobbing, and she told us that her husband, Phil, had been having an affair for two years. And she did not know about it, and she had just found out and that he was moving out to move in with this woman. And we were shook. We were, how could I be the pastor and have no knowledge? I mean, don't, aren't you supposed to have some kind of discerning of spirits? This guy, I never, I never, I never saw it coming. And I mean, he, he quit the church. He moved out. He moved in with that woman about 20 years younger than him. Hello. She had two kids, like 10 and 12. And he married her, and she moved out into a little apartment, and she was a broken woman. And she, I said, just stay with us, Ireta. Take time off, whatever you have to do. Somehow in that next year, God began to heal her, and one day I was at my desk, and some of people have known me to be the matchmaker. That's one of my favorite things that I do. I love putting people together. Hallelujah. And I'm sitting there. I don't know why this hadn't happened before because I knew both people for years. But in that moment, I just went, Carlos. Carlos. Oh, dear God, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I, 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 I text my uh, friend, Pastor Marcus, who's our associate. I said, Marcus, get in here now. He came in the office. He says, what is it? What is it? And I, I said, Carlos. He goes, yeah. Now, folks, you got to realize we're in a very Spanish world in Miami. But our church isn't. Our church is all a black world. So in some churches in Miami, you'd say Carlos and nobody would know who you're talking about. 
because there'd be 120 Carloses in the church. Okay? In my church, all of my folks know who Carlos is. Oh, I just want you to know. Marcus went, yes? Like more and more, sounds like. And I went, Carlos? I read that. He goes, that's it? That's it? I said, of course. I said, why didn't we think of that? He goes, I don't know. I said, okay. You work with Carlos? I'll work with Irene. We'll work this thing. We'll work it out. <laughs> he goes, I got it. Because, I mean, Marcus, is, he gets it. He gets it. So he didn't know who she was because he went to the first service, the 930 service. We had five then. And Irata would be at the 930, but <laughs> she was at all of them. You know what I'm saying? So he'd be at 930 and out. And she was there all day. She didn't know who he was. He didn't know who she was. And so we said, well, we're going to kind of introduce you. And so they didn't know when we would introduce them, but it was at the Joel Osteen meeting. <laughs> Since I was the chairman of the, of the meeting, I had the front row of the triple A in Miami. And I also had the second row of the center floor at the AAA. So we had it worked out that they would, she would come from that side with a group of friends, and he would come from that side with a group of friends, and they would end up in the middle of the second row. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And that's where they met. And... So I looked at them, I said, I've been kind of wanting you people to meet. And they went, really? Okay. So during the service, I kept saying to Robin, look at them, how they doing? Look at them. <laughs> and she, she'd, she'd say, they're worshiping real hard. <laughs> I, I went, that's good, that's a good thing. That, they're trying to impress each other that they're really into it. Anyway, they got married. Here's a picture of them. I think we have a picture. That's Carlos Nireda. He is a boat freak. All right? He's a boat freak. The church gave us a boat for our 15th anniversary, and he runs it. I never go in it. When John Fulton and Ashley come, I go in it. But Carlos takes people in our church all the week. He's the captain. So the reason why I bring this story up is because a year after they got married, her ex-husband's wife got sick. In fact, she got real sick. In fact, she got cancer. And her ex-husband called her and said, can you get Carlos on the phone? I need to speak with the two of you. He said, I don't have anyone in this city to help me. And my wife is dying. And I have no one to keep her children. Irada went 
to that woman's bedside who had taken her husband. And she ministered to that woman for three months until that woman passed away and kept her ex-husband's adopted children at their home until everything had passed. And I must tell you today, for Phil, things have not worked out quite as good, and we're praying for him. But for Carlos and Ireda, things have worked out amazingly. Because through it all, she learned to honor others above herself. She didn't stay on her own pain and linger there. And now, Phil's boy has a stepfather in Carlos that he works for because the business is the same business her son chose. Friends, when we learn to honor others above ourselves, even when it seems like there's no way out of this, in the end, God has a way of putting things together that we could have never made happen. Second thing I want to say is honor those in need. Honor those in need. The Bible says in Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. John Fulton had uh, an auntie, a great auntie named Marie Johnsrud. In fact, a few of you in the room may remember Auntie Marie. She was my mother-in-law, Lorraine Buntaine's sister. And as a young woman, she left here and went to West Africa, Burkina Faso. Marie was not good in front of people. And missionaries, some of you know the old school way, they would stay on the mission field for four years and come home and travel for a year on furlough, preaching in churches to get $25 a month from that church. And Marie, in front of people, just, you just would cave in. She never lived on more than $600 a month during her 35 years of mission service. She was a single woman, never married. While in Africa, she raised 240 children as her very own. She spoke seven languages. She put those kids through school, K through some of them into Bible college, and was just an amazing woman. And in 1980, she came home from the field, retired, and my mother-in-law rented her an apartment uh, at the church a retirement center. Uh, when I was home, um, I would pick the boys up from Marie's house, which was a little efficiency apartment, and take them to the evening service. Normally, on Wednesdays, she'd pick the boys up from preschool and uh, first grade, and she'd take them on the bus downtown Tacoma. And they'd go to, was it Woolworths? 
Yeah, that's shut down after the Woolworths and get some little toys for, you know, quarter. And they look forward to this like you can't believe. And they called her Auntie Ree. And one day I came to her house because I was home that week to pick the boys up. And she was, the boys were playing on the floor. John Fulton was probably six and Marie was, uh, Richie was probably three. And she had this huge checkbook. Remember the old legal for businesses? You'd open it up and the checks were three feet long. Remember that? And she was writing out checks, which means she was paying bills. So I said, Marie, are you paying bills? And she went, oh, no, Rich, no. I don't have any bills. I don't have any debt. I don't, I don't have any bills. And she said, that, I just, I, I would, that would be terrible. And she looked at me, I went, oh, yes. <laughs> bills. Think about it. Anyway, I said, well, what are, what are you writing the checks for? She said, well, she said, I'm, I'm writing 10 $15 checks to 10 of my former students who are now pastoring in West Africa. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, that will totally cover their family's monthly needs. $15 a month. When she had gotten off the airplane, Robin said to me, we're going to give her $150 a month until she goes to Jesus. I said, okay. And that week we made out a $150 check to the church anonymously because if she knew it was from us, she would have ripped it up. She said, Rich, you'll never believe this. When I came home six years ago, I prayed to God and asked him to give me some money so I could support missions. I never supported missions in all my life. I was too broke at the end of the month to give a buck. He said, Marie, you gave your whole life. Get real. No, 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 no. I needed to give money, but I didn't have any money. And the second day that I got home, I went to the mailbox, and in the mailbox was a check. And guess what? It was 150 bucks. And guess what, Rich? It was from God. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, it was from the church, and she said it came anonymously. That's always been God in my life. That's God. I went, that's amazing. And so she said, because of that, every month on this day, I sit down, and I write 10 $15 checks to 10 of my former students who are preaching the gospel. I ran those boys out of that room so fast because I was crying. And I said to the boys, you've seen a saint. But probably 15 years after that, the Assemblies of God, of which that church that we were a part of, called my mother-in-law and said, we want your sister Marie to come to Burkina Faso for the 50th anniversary of the church in that nation. And mom put the money together and flew she and her other sister to Burkina Faso. And they picked her up at the airport 
in a limousine. They took her to a beautiful hotel. And she said, oh, my goodness. She lived in a, a hut for 35 years with no indoor plumbing or running water. She lived like the people did at that time. And they said, we'll pick you up at 6 o'clock for the meeting. And she thought they'd be going to one of the storefronts that she helped to start years before. When they picked her up, they took her and her sister to the stadium in Burkina Faso with 35,000 people. And when she walked on the stage, 35,000 people gave her a standing ovation, were clapping, weeping, and screaming, Mama, Mama, Mama. Honor those in need. Don't act like They've got nothing. I've got something, so I'm going to help them because they're such losers. No, 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 no. No, that's not the drill. The drill is to love like no one else loves, and we do it by honoring. And the last thing that I want to say today is simply this. Honor the underdog. Honor the underdog. Romans 12, 16 says, be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Isn't that great? Now, folks, I've got a little touch of something today, and I know part of the something is the Holy Ghost, and the other part is a little touch of the cold. So I haven't been yelling, but if, if I wanted to, I could get up here like I used to and just go, honor the underdog. My God in heaven, don't be conceited. You know, I, mean, I, I'm, I can do that if I have to, okay? But the truth is today, folks, we're God's people. We're not better than anybody, all right? Uh, this whole idea of bullying, that's about I'm better than you. You're a punk, you're nothing. No, 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 it's time to get off of that. It's time to be the men and women that God has called us to be. To honor those that some think are underdogs, we're going to go to them first. My boy Graham, many of you know, 32 years ago, six months of age, he died with meningitis, and God brought him back. And he lingered for six days, and then God healed him. And over the next several years, we're just, well, some of you have lived it with your own children or relatives. It's a very difficult time in our life. And, and Graham would be fine, and then he'd go off. And one Thursday evening, I get off the plane on Thursdays, and we have a big family dinner at the house Robin would make. And... We were at the table that night, and Graham was now six or seven years of age. And Graham went into one of his things, where he picked his plate, chicken, and beans, and mashed potatoes, and threw it against the wall. And the corn and the beans were kind of caught up in the gravy and the mashed potatoes, stuck on the wall. Chicken was on the ground. And he started screaming, and he threw the chair against the wall. And 
he ran down the hallway and everybody kind of became depressed at the table. And after he finished his scream, and we knew what he was doing in there, he would pull every drawer out and empty it, just tear the room up. That was his. The doctors told us that he did not feel comfortable in his skin. And when he would calm down, I'd get up and I went down the hallway, took a left down to the end. And I opened the door and Graham was sitting on the lower bunk. And he had his elbow on his knees and his head in his hands. And he was just shaking, like sobbing so hard. He'd come to his senses and remembered what his problems were, I guess. And I went over and I sat down next to him and I got him to crawl up on my knee and I put my arms around him. I said, I love you, son. You're daddy's boy. I love you. I'll never forget that day as long as I lived. He, he looked up at me. He couldn't say dad. He couldn't put the D on the end of the A. He would call me day. And he looked at me and he said, I stupid day. I stupid. Graham stupid day. Graham so stupid day. And I held it to myself. I said, Graham son, you're not stupid. You're a Wilkerson. We're a little crazy. But we're not stupid. <laughs> I held him and finally the waves crashing on the seashore on his back. <sighs> Calmed. And he looked at me, stood up. He's all back now, he's all back. I said, you want to get something to eat? Uh -huh. I said, well, you have to go pick it off the floor first. <laughs> and he headed out of the door like nothing happened. And I stayed. And I was thinking about my God and me. And how omnipotent and how omnipresent and how omniscient my God is. And me, well, I knew me. And so in that moment, with my boy back at the table, I stayed on the lower bed of the bunk bed. And I put my elbows on my knees and I put my head in my hands and the tears flowed. And I remember looking up to heaven that day. I stupid day! I stupid day! Rich is so stupid!
But I felt his arms. I felt his arms. And I felt him say, I'm your day, but you're not stupid. You're my boy. I love you. There'll be hard times. There'll be difficult times. But I'll be here. I love you. See, friends, if you love your pastor today, you can thank his brain-damaged little brother, Graham, because it was that boy that taught his whole family to love the underdog. And that's what God's calling us to today, to reach out to those who can't reach for themselves. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.